Hi, friends. It's good to be back with you. Again, I'm recording from Wyoming today, and then I'll do one more podcast from Wyoming before I'll be back in North Carolina. And I just hope you all are well and enjoying summer. Um, We are definitely in the Thunder Moon cycle now. You might hear a church bell ringing in the background, but I'm just going to let this keep recording. (laughs) This is just the happy atmosphere of of sounds around me right now. Um, And the Thunder Moon in July is just so appropriate because in many places we're getting a lot of rain. Not so much here, but my son was uh, traveling in Mississippi yesterday and Missouri and some some of the southern states, and he was encountering rain on the road like he has never experienced before. Rain almost so torrential that he had to pull over. In fact, many cars had, and and I've heard that about southern rains, and I've experienced some really amazing rains in Asheville, North Carolina, by now. But um, I don't even know if I've had any rain this hard that my son was experiencing. So this idea of weather and thunder and lightning and rain and storm is really present with us right now. And I've always been somewhat intrigued and invigorated by storms, the external ones of the atmosphere. Maybe I've been less so with emotional storms or or challenges, and indeed that's what we're going to talk about today as well. So all of these threads are coming together into this podcast today, which I hope blesses you and brings you some peace. But I want to bring um, us first into the rhythm of acknowledging the Thunder Moon by reading a few of my poems about the Thunder Moon. This will be this first one, the new moon phase of this. And it goes like this. Thunder Moon Buck moon, hay moon. Regardless, this lunar cycle is characterized by fruition and majesty and being heard. In contemplating the names, I am drawn to thunder moon. Even as a child, I was never afraid of thunder, the mighty boom one feels in the throat. I reveled in the sound of distant rumble, the steady advance and crash overhead, the eventual retreat. The experience connected me to something wild and alive. I come from people who thunder, and somehow I trust this more than the ways of those who dissemble or traffic in pleasantries. When the thunder is over, it's over. The heart opens again. We move on. That's not to say a skillfulness can't be learned. I'm discovering that often the most powerful sound is silence, an open-hearted silence. It's important to have access to one's thunder. Open to this. Live it. Be it. Waxing Moon In this thunder moon cycle, I have just acknowledged another birthday. The unexpected gift of this year is a greater acceptance of just being me. Sure, I have much I still want to witness and experience, creative projects complete, the unfolding of my children as they shapeshift right before my eyes. The travels, inner and outer, my kind, spirited husband and I have embarked upon. But there's suddenly an okayness, even in the undoneness, getting there and not getting there. I'm letting go of this idea altogether. The poets whisper this knowing in the space between the conjured images. Nature echoes this refrain in cricket chirp and rush of black wing. The lavender's crush of scent perfumes the spider's web, which points to where the silvery night dreams spin from and to. Being, now, nowhere to go, nothing to make better or do, just this fine, fine aliveness. And I want to comment a little bit on this particular poem because these were written a few years ago. And I feel much of this poem still. And... And the one nuance I would add that is actually more than a nuance to me now is that I just really value the present moment in a way that I didn't even when I wrote this, because 
anything we want, anything that we're after, that we're seeking, is actually with us right now. It is not contingent upon anything in the external world changing. And this has been a very fierce and powerful lesson in my life, particularly in this last year. And I'm resting more in that knowing and in that embrace. But it is a mental discipline to stay there. And so um, I would just add that. And indeed, that's what we'll be talking about today. And I'll share the other two poems from this phase and cycle um, in the final July podcast. But I just wanted to start out with that. And I hope you're able to see the thunder moon in the sky and experience some amazing weather and know that our own personal storms too will pass just like the weather and that we can stay alive and grounded and as serene as possible in, in any event. A long time ago, a friend that I had gone to high school with once said to me, those who can't teach. And it was such a stark thing to say at that moment in my life because I was teaching and she was not. And her life was going in a different way than mine was right then. And, you know, I bless her and I bless where I was at the time and all the rest of it. This is not about any kind of judgment, but... It, it felt like a backhanded compliment at the time. Like, if you can't be an artist, teach art. If you can't be a businessman, teach, you know, economics or, or something like that. It, it felt like that at the time. And I didn't say anything um, and just went on my way and taught for several years. And indeed, here I am still teaching. It's, it's taking different forms and different shapes. But I'm a teacher at heart. And... I don't see teaching as a cop-out if you're not doing these other endeavors in, you know, maybe a professional setting or have a studio in an art district somewhere. That is not to say that um, I don't embrace that. There's so many ways to be and share. And definitely, I I love um, embracing the courage to, to put any creativity out there. But teaching is also an act of creation. And I just bring this whole story up because I said last time in the podcast that I'm teaching things I still need to learn. And, and I've always said that, but the, the value of that statement just continues to sink in in new ways with me because If we can teach something, that means we're integrating it enough in a way that we're understanding it well to explain it to another person. And ultimately, I agree with this statement, those who can't teach, meaning that there probably will be a time when just your creativity and your very presence itself, your presence itself in the world will do all the talking. And I so welcome that part of my life continuing to blossom. I've experienced it a little bit with my children. I say less and less all the time, and it has greater impact because I'm doing my own work. It's not this cold silence. It's not a silence that is withholding in any way, but it's maybe me dropping into my own perception if if I'm in a difficult exchange with my kids and and just being still and and just letting who I am and the beauty of that speak in the situation. So I just bring all this up as a way of saying, I know as a, a spiritual journey woman myself, that ultimately our presence, the way we make others feel just by being alive in the world is actually the greatest message. If we've done work on ourselves and getting out of our own way, not making ourselves better, but getting out of our own way, that is the most beautiful gift we can share. But until I'm doing that ever more skillfully, I'm often teaching these things. So that's with a servant's heart, I say that, and and with an embrace of my own imperfections. So I wanted to begin that way because we talked about a really interesting technique last podcast called Revision, and that was inspired by the lectures of Neville Goddard, 
who I spoke to you about last time, and he was teaching in the 40s and 50s, so he's been around forever, and, and his material is readily available online. And he talked about, you know, sort of in in his own language, he's referring to the participatory quantum universe. And when we talked about that last time, that perception, the way we are seeing something is the thing. That's the point. That is our only vehicle for transformation. It's not the situation, the problem, the circumstance, the person, even if that person is a version we have of ourselves, that is the problem. It's the way we are seeing. And I've heard this my entire life, but only very recently has that really started to sink in. And I was excited to share this technique with you because I, I felt like I had a practical way of of working that practice in my life. And I, I just want to hit on those um, highlights again from last time. I'm teaching this to myself. I'm teaching this um, with people in my Wyoming community here. I'm actually doing this in a class um, that meets once a week. So this is foremost on my mind and heart about how to truly affect change in the world. And it seems like the more I teach this, the more resources and beautiful things flow into my life telling me, yes, you are on the right track here. You are on the track of really freeing yourself and coming into alignment with who you're supposed to be without all these filters and judgments and roadblocks that we put in our own way. That is so key. This is really about offloading victimhood in all the really subtle ways that it sneaks into our life. And I've just been amazed at all the little pockets I have found where I wasn't taking full accountability for my own life. So as a review, um, Neville Goddard and really encouraged the use of our imagination, like well beyond even what um, C.G. Jung was saying. You know, Jung is famous for contemplating on the dream life and all the beautiful power of images and having an image in mind, whether it's a song or a photo or some kind of scene where your feeling state is really expansive and harmonious because you have this beautiful image and you're creating a world in your own mind that you would like to inhabit in your external world. And of course, you know, Jung did a lot of work with the imagination and those who came after Jung and Hillman's work and et cetera, do a lot of work with the imagination. Neville Goddard is doing that too, but he was even doing it in a more participatory way where in this revision technique, you, in any moment that you're experiencing something that is difficult or challenging, you drop in to your own imagination and revise whatever just happened. Or you can do this at the end of the day, as a practice at the end of the day before you go to sleep. And you imagine in your mind's eye how you wish that would have gone. And, and you settle into a feeling that feels natural to you, and harmonious with your own code of ethics. And I'll give an example here in a minute. And then part two, you release anybody or any situation or any circumstance from the box that you had for them for that problem or challenge that you just encountered. And then the third part is you say, who am I if that situation is free of the box? So let me give you an example here of what that might look like. Um, let's say you have, you know, your teenage daughter, you know, snaps at you. And, you know, typically you've gotten into this respect debate with her about, don't talk to me like that. And, well, you don't treat me like this, you know, on and on and on. I think we've all seen that play out on one end or the other. Um, and it's fruitless, you know, you at some point are just in a tit for tat and it's just you're not solving the problem at the level at which it is being created. And that's the beauty of, of this revision work is it's taking a problem and going up a level in consciousness so that you can actually affect change. Because just like Einstein said, like so many of the great thinkers have 
shared with us for years and decades and centuries that seeking to solve a problem at the level at which it was created is the very definition of insanity. We're going to get the same result. So that's the power of this revision technique. Whether you want to contemplate quantum physics principles or a participatory universe or sort of the magic that is happening all around us, even just set that aside. Just look at this practice through the power of perception. And what you would do in this case is instead of getting into this, you know, war with your teenager, you would revise in your mind's eye having had a great exchange with her where she was respectful, where you were respectful, and you both connected and, and the communication resulted in what you were both needing at that moment, you know, in your relationship with each other. And then the second part is you have to release her, you not tell her anything or have her do anything. You release her of any former memory of her being a smart ass or flippant or short with you. You have to let her out of that box. You do. And then the third part is who are, who am I? Who am I if I'm not in some kind of disrespectful entanglement with my daughter? Well, I'm respected. I'm happy. I'm peaceful. And I'm a better mom. So suddenly this situation is in the crucible of transformation because you've raised it to a level beyond what you were interacting with before. And what we tend to do without this exercise, without going up a level of consciousness, is just yell at each other or give each other books to read or try to affect change on the level at which it's happening. Whereas we have this incredible tool of the imagination, but it's requiring a sacrifice of a different kind from us. And that is to let people out of a box, to let them out of the box that I no longer am seeing my teenager as somebody who's going to attack or be flippant or disrespectful to me. I'm seeing her as something bigger than that. And because I'm seeing her beyond that, that is the experience I will receive back from her. But the work doesn't stop there. You have to also let yourself out of the box because maybe, you know, I'm on some kind of power trip by always trying to lord it over her or, you know, something of that nature. Maybe I don't feel like I deserve respect you know, so changing her box also changes your box, your vision of yourself. And so who am I if I just suddenly have this great relationship with my kid? Well, I'm effective. I'm happy. I'm more in my own power. And, and I'm a good role model to her. That feels really exciting. And so this is the practice. I, I ask for people to reach out and tell me how it's going. And I've had a lot of feedback here in Wyoming about that. And it's powerful. And sometimes it's triggering to people. And sometimes it's triggering to the self because we don't want to let go of these old limiting ideas about who we are. And that's kind of crazy. Like, why wouldn't you want to step into your power and your juice and your goodness, and, and your ability to create and have a beautiful and meaningful life, well, it is the unknown, and it can feel really um, unnerving. But I am committed to this in a way that I can't even express. Um, I'm just returning to this practice on a daily basis, and I am just shocked at how many people and situations I just have a knee-jerk response to, and it's because of having been hurt in the past or feeling like you need protected. And I'm more than that, and you're more than that. And I'm challenging all of us to step into that. Our birthright when we came into this world was what I'm calling the filterless state. We were just open and loving and creative little beings ready to soak up goodness. And not all of us received that goodness in early years or in childhood. We started 
putting up defenses right away. And that's just the human story. It happens to everybody. But we are the only people as adults keeping that shit alive. And I'm just being very frank with you about that. That's where this really subtle victimhood can creep in. And I'm done with that. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it yet, but I'm done living that way. I'm accepting full responsibility that anything that's happening in my life right now that is not beautiful, powerful, peaceful, you know, what I'm creating in my mind's eye is the beautiful scenario that I want to live in. That's on me to change. Nobody else. And it and it flows from letting people, situations out of boxes and myself out of a box and, and going to another level to create change. So I am having a lot of feedback here about people um, having success with this. And what I'm hearing most frequently is immediately when somebody looks at a situation or a challenge in a new way and lets it out of the box, and instead of thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible, or, you know, um, this is out to get me, or this is making me feel bad, they're changing that thought pattern and saying, this situation is a miracle unfolding. Or if that's too big of a leap, this situation has my best interest at heart or something like that. Something that you can feel natural and good about reframing it, reframing the, the people involved in the same way. Um, this person is more than an addiction. Um, this person is, is alive and thriving and well. Whatever feels natural in the moment to think of in a loving regard and a spacious and kind-hearted regard as best we can. Sometimes neutrality is the only thing we can do in any given moment. Just, I'm going to choose to be neutral about this situation. Well, that is a lot better than being negative. Because if you're being negative, you're going to get more negativity. That I know is true. I've lived it. You've lived it. I don't have to prove this to either of us. So... Dwelling in a new feeling state and letting people and situations out of boxes will continue to expand. So maybe I can only conceive of a situation as being neutral for two or three days. And then after that, something happens is the feedback I'm getting and what I'm also experiencing. And then another view comes natural, like, oh, I see this situation is actually um, creating a beautiful benefit that I hadn't initially perceived. You know, so it continues to gather on itself and expand and open the heart and open the mind. This is a mental discipline. I am not going to lie. You have to be vigilant with the mind about it. But I find that what's happening is I'm exchanging dramas, So what I mean by that is where I've had a lot of drama on the level of the human story before, um, now I'm having this this elevated drama where, where beautiful synchronicities are happening or where people are surprising me in delightful ways or where opportunities are flowing in. And that's the kind of drama I'm after, the kind that is unexpected and helpful and like this little angel on your shoulder or this diamond, you know, um, soul guide that's racing out ahead of you saying this way, this way, this way, here's the scent, here's your life unfolding in beautiful ways right before you keep following this way. And that's the kind of drama I'm about these days. So to add to this, um, one thing I did not talk about last time is that after you do the revision process where you imagine how you wish something had gone, where you release either the person or situation that you were challenged by, release them into a larger experience of themselves or your experience of them, let them out of the box, let the situation out of the box, and then challenge and release yourself out of whatever box you are holding. Then there's a really essential piece, and that's to drop the whole thing, to stop dwelling on it, and to go about your day being in as much enjoyment and acceptance as possible. 
because we can't watch the quantum pot boil, if you will. We can't watch and just be checking on the unconscious all the time to see if it's doing its job. And that's a leap of faith, you know, and that's another muscle I'm learning to work is is being strong and saying, I did my part by removing these filters and I'm going to let the participatory universe take it from here. And back to my idea a second ago about who we are as children in this filterless state, whatever your spiritual concepts are or your ideas of God or whatever, that is entirely a personal choice. But what I would offer is the vital, beautiful, fully realized human being, what Jung called the self with a capital S, not a little s. The little s is more like the ego self that has smaller concerns. We need our ego, but it has the smaller concerns and it's always worried about protecting itself. The self with a capital S is beyond that. It's embracing the unknown and stepping into that state that it knew before it had any filters at all. You know, sometimes we say of people, oh, they're, t- they're totally unfiltered. They don't have a filter. We often mean by that, you know, just in common language, that they just say whatever's on their mind. Well, that's one version. But the more empowered version of an unfiltered person is a person who doesn't have themselves or anybody else or any situations in any boxes anymore. They're not seeing life through a lens of this person's going to hurt me. This person's going to disappoint me. That situation is never going to change. When we do that, we cut off the flow of life. Because right there in that example, I just shut down the gate of flow in three different areas. And we wonder why we're having a trickle of goodness in our life. Well, we have shut the current off in so many areas that we have labeled or said that we had to have to survive or to be happy. The filterless state, the state where you have no preconceived idea about anything, where you are just completely in line with, remember what I said last podcast, with the 400 million bits of information being processed per second. When you are completely in touch with that, what is there to be afraid of? What will you not know how to do? How will you not be joyful and alive and loving and happy when you have that kind of power system on your side? Remember, the present moment accesses that unconscious power. Whereas if we're in past or future in the brain, we're only getting 40 bits of information per second, not 400 plus million bits of information per second. I mean, it's just a rational decision when you come right down to it. It's like, how do you want to live? And if it means offloading some filters, do it. I mean, that's where I am. And that's what I'm sharing right now. So I will add one caveat here because I know it's an important one. If you are in a really, really abusive situation, like let's say um, somebody in your family is you know, violent because they have an addiction of some kind, you may need to remove yourself from a a volatile situation like that. And that would be appropriate. And I would want that for you. So I'm not saying, hey, just try to change that with your imagination. But what I will tell you is that if you can also let even the quote unquote abuser out of the box, just by saying, I know this person is more than that you have done a huge service to that person and their healing. It's their healing to engage in. It is not your job to fix that. But you have handed them a gift by seeing them as beyond an abusive person, a vindictive person or whatever, because of the addiction, because of their own confusion. You're handing them a gift. I will say that until you let yourself out of the box, you will repeat being in partnership of whatever kind with an abuser until you embrace this work for yourself. And I've lived that. 
until we let ourselves out of the box that I am only in partnership with people who are unkind or disrespectful or passive-aggressive or withholding or whatever materializes when we are confused and lost as human beings. Until you let yourself out of that box, you will repeat that. And so that's the power, that's the importance of doing this. If you need to, in a moment, remove yourself from a volatile situation, you absolutely must. But let that person out of the box, not taking on their stuff. They have to heal and embrace that work for themselves. But ultimately, unless you want to experience that again in a different form, in a different variety, in a different mix of people, in a different town, in a different job or whatever, you have to say, who am I if I'm not defining myself as being partnered with something that looks and behaves in this really limiting way. So I, I just wanted to note that we are the only ones keeping these dynamics alive, and it rests 100% with us to change that. Whenever you're feeling triggered, you are in the presence of one of your deep filters, and that is gold. That is gold right there to say, how would it feel to live without this? And I guarantee you 10 avenues of ways for, the, for life to bless you will open up immediately because you said, I'm open to more. I'm not just saying, hey, it can't come from here or from this situation or from that person because I have all of that already decided and those are closed options. This is powerful work and it requires a sacrifice from us only in that it's a mental discipline. It's not hard, but it is challenging and it does require focus. And just to show how the universe sort of comes around and, and tells you, you are on the right track. Like I said earlier, I had the most beautiful quote of um, one of Jung's primary students. Her name is Marie-Louise von Franz. And she did much of um, his work and carried it forward and put her own twist on things. And she's also a wonderful depth psychologist, and, and she has this amazing quote that I want to share with you right now that really sums all of this up and, and then takes it a bit further. Quote, Jung said that to be in a situation where there is no way out or to be in a conflict where there is no solution is the classical beginning of the process of individuation. And I'll just add here, that means becoming your filterless state being who you were before you got scared and afraid and started defending yourself. Back to the quote, it is meant to be a situation without a solution. It's meant to be that. The unconscious wants the hopeless conflict. Why? In order to put the ego consciousness up against the wall so that the man or woman has to realize that whatever he does is wrong, whichever way he decides will be wrong, this is meant to knock out the superiority of the ego's perception, which always acts from the illusion that it has the responsibility of decision. If he or she is ethical enough to suffer to the core of their personality, and I would add here to remove those filters, then generally, because of the insolubility of the conscious situation, the self with the capital S manifests. The self manifests. So, um, end quote. This is such a powerful passage from Jung's work, and he spent his whole life studying this, and then Marie-Louise von Franz taking it from there. This is saying that we actually, on a very subconscious level, will absolutely create a scenario where we are damned if we do and damned if we don't, where we are caught in two seeming impossibilities that are at complete loggerheads with each other, we will create that so that the self with the capital S, who we are without any filters, without any defenses, who you are in your glory and your creative juice and your power and your love and your kindness emerges from that. 
And here's the beautiful thing. It is my experience that when you hold the space between those two polarities and you don't give in to either side, but you say, I want to be conscious. I want to be awake. I want to be alive. And you don't give in to one side or the other and become victimized by one side or the other. When the solution appears, it honors both of the sides that were problematic to begin with. And that's the magic of consciousness. That's the magic that can never have a win-win when you're just fighting tooth and nail, side against side. You have to enter into this third state. And it's, it's a challenge. I'm not going to tell you it's not, but it's not hard. It means sitting with some uncomfortable emotions sometimes and saying, why do I have this filter that says I can only be in a relationship where somebody ignores me or treats me ill? Why, 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 why would I be that way? Why would I have that as a filter? And it, it's a little uncomfortable to sit with that for a minute, but then it will dawn on you maybe why that began in the first place. And more importantly, that that's not you. You don't need that and you can let it go. And when you change that box you've been living in, then every other person has to change too. They have to treat you as who you are giving off you are. You are a person who is valued and cherished. And that's the experience you have to have of others. And I can only impart to try this out for yourself and just see, just give it the benefit of the doubt to see if it doesn't work just a little bit better than having side pitted against side. All we have to do is look at our national story right now and we see blacks against whites and we see Republicans against Democrats and we, we see people who are getting vaccinated versus people who are not getting vaccinated and ad nauseum to the end of time. It's ridiculous. Is that getting us anywhere? No, it is not. Taking people out of boxes, taking situations out of boxes and not labeling them as hopeless or evil or, you know, limiting in any way, and then taking ourselves out of that same scenario, whatever box we have ourselves in. This is the only way, in my view, that the polarities of white, black, up, down, left, right, male, female, whatever, are both honored because we, dis we discover the experience of ourselves as something beyond duality. This world is about duality. We always have these two juxtapositions that we're engaging in on some level, this versus that. And the only error is to identify with either of those extremes because to do so and not choose the middle ground where you become something larger than those two things and experience your, of yourself that is larger than that is to pack the quote unquote enemy up in your suitcase and take it with you to your next scenario. It is to do that. If, if we think, oh no, I'm going to stick to this position because this is who I am, but it's not you in the filterless state, in the state where you don't have defenses where you're experiencing pure love and pure joy and pure power and creative expression that's authentic and conscious, to not experience yourself in that way and to, to take a cheap secondary position is to pack the enemy up in your suitcase onto your next time where you'll get to repeat this pattern. And I just turned 50 last week and... I don't want to keep repeating those patterns. So when I'm feeling triggered, I'm like, okay, there's a filter here. How can I let it go? How can I let myself out of the box? How can I let this situation and this person that I love or care about or am in creative um, career space with or what have you out of the box? So with that, I just want to end um, on... A really cool myth that I'm finding is really appropriate to this whole 
discussion, and that's the myth of Artemis. And she is a goddess who was born of Zeus and Leto. Zeus had many consorts and wives, but Leto is Artemis's mother, and her twin brother, Artemis's twin brother, is Apollo. And Artemis is one of the three virginal goddesses. There may be more, but definitely one of the main three virginal goddesses. And that doesn't have anything to do with her sexuality. The virgin state is a mental state where she does not define herself based on any relationship to the patriarchy or to a father or to a spouse or to a brother or to any, you know, if you want to take it beyond the context of quote unquote, the masculine, it would be, she doesn't define herself as anything other than the filterless state of her birthright. This consciousness is available to all of us. We all have an Artemisian consciousness that's mythologically a psychological reality for us if we want to align with that and tap into that. And that means that we're in that filterless state. And she negotiated with Zeus, her father, you know, as a young girl, hey, I don't want to wear long skirts. I'm going to run and hunt in the forest. Um, She's often associated with stags and hunting hounds and a bow and arrow. And she wore a short dress so that she could move. And she's very physically fit And of herself, that is the virgin state. The virgin state has nothing to do with sexuality. Artemis can have a partner or not. That's not the point. But she doesn't define herself by only being the partner of whomever. That doesn't, that's not where she gets her worth. She doesn't define herself by only having a certain amount of money in the bank. She doesn't define herself by anything external that she thinks is going to give her the state of mind that is already her birthright when she has no filters in her life. That is the Artemisian sensibility, and it's available to all of us. And I just want to tell you one of her little stories um, that her hunting partner's name is Acteon, and he had a bunch of hounds that traveled with him, like eight or more hounds, maybe more, maybe it was a dozen, I can't remember, Um, But anyway, they were great hunters. They're friends, and they would go out on the hunt together. And she was remarkably accurate and powerful and just anybody's equal in terms of the hunt. And But at one point, she takes time to go bathe alone in, in the springs. And Acteon happens to see her in her naked state. And you can't see a goddess in her naked state, unless that's okay with her. And immediately when that happens, you know, there's like an immediate retribution and all of Acteon's hounds who, you know, served him, turn on him and devour him as a punishment for having seen Artemis in her naked state. Now, what the heck's going on with that story? You can't take it at the level of the drama, okay? We have to go up to the higher drama about what this is about and and look at it like we would a dream. When we look at something like we would a dream, all of these figures are internal parts of ourselves. So let's look at this story like a dream. We all have the Artemisian mindset if we cultivate it, you know, where we're tapping into our birthright, where we don't have defenses and ways that we're putting people in situations in boxes where we're cutting off the flow of life. We have that state where we don't have to define ourselves by anybody else, by any other experience, by any other anything, because we see how alive and vibrant we are when we don't have those filters. That's the Artemisian state. The Acteon state would be what happens in our own psychology. We all have an Acteon too, where when you see the brilliance of who you are with no filters, which would be Artemis in her naked state, just Artemis being Artemis with nothing else. When you see the power of that part of yourself, then all these filters, 
you suddenly see how they turn on you and you see how you've been limiting yourself and the hounds that you've been traveling with all this time that you think were protecting you and helping you, you know, get the hunt, get what you were after. They turn on you and they ravage you and they devour you. And you realize I can live with filters and be eaten alive by them. Or I can be in the divine naked space. So this has nothing to do with masculine or feminine. Artemis could be a man. Doesn't matter. It's not a female sensibility. It's a virgin sensibility, meaning I'm not defining myself by anything other than the raw, natural wonder of who I am with no defenses. And when you actually see yourself in that way for the first time or the second time or get a glimpse of it with an act of grace, then all these filters that you've been carrying suddenly seem like incredible limitations that will eat you alive, that will devour you, that will follow you to the next situation, the next relationship, the next job, whatever, until we experience ourselves in our divine birthright. And I'm not saying divine in any kind of religious sense. So I just offer that as we close today. And I'm going to end with some quiet music because I just want you, if it feels appropriate to you, to remember this idea that if you find yourself in an impossible situation right now, where both sides are at complete daggers and loggerheads, you put yourself there so that you could discover who you are when you don't have any defenses. And to accept responsibility for that is to create a miracle mindset and is to create a solution that actually honors and fully satisfies both sides, both warring sides. But there's only one way to do that, and that's to raise your consciousness past the tit for tat past packing up all the broken pieces and hauling it to the next scenario externally that you think is going to solve it. And of course, this means not defining ourselves in any way, shape, or form by anything other than the incredible joy, love, sensuality, aliveness, vitality, potency, exuberance that we are when we don't have any of these filters. I've only glimpsed that part of myself a few times in my life, but it is increasing with this work that I do. And so I just want to offer it to you, teaching what I need to learn. So as I go into this music now, I want you to, again, if it feels appropriate, just dwell with the part of you that has no defenses. See what it's like to trust that person for a while. And until next time, take good care.
Thank mm-hmm. you.